Today's sermon text comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, and then verses 31, and then Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. In the beginning, Jesus was riding his dinosaur, and he turned to... Wait, no, that's not... Um, um, sorry, that's the... Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. We all have questions. We all have doubts. We all have things we struggle with, whether we give voice to those or our mind turns to them when we're trying to sleep. And I have been honored that you shared with me these things that you need help understanding, these frequently avoided questions, these, these things that don't have easy answers. And when I got over a hundred responses, and not just from adults, but from kids and teens. The first thing I did, of course, was read. And I cried. Because some of these are just questions, hey, tell me about this, but some of these, these are hurts that I know are from years ago that you're still carrying. And so as I was reading them, I realized, well, I really, before I even start, set about answering them, I, I just need to lay them before God. So I, I took all of these and the ones that were sent to me from children, and I just laid them before the altar. So I've been praying for you and for our questions. And then I started to just look at how our questions fall into categories and, and what are the things that we're wondering about the most. Where does it hurt? Where do we need some clarity? And what I wish is I could have an audience with God like Moses would, and his face would be shining, and I, I could come back and you'd see my face shining, and I could say, well, this is exactly what God says. But because we're all going to have to wait for eternity to see God and to ask those direct questions, um, instead I've just been spending a lot of time in prayer with your questions, a lot of time in study, even as I'm going about life, sometime I'll, I'll, I'll hear something or think of something and I'll put it into my file for the questions. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the hardest questions we have, some of the most frequently asked questions, the ones that I heard from you the most, that that's what we're going to be tackling. And today I wanted to start with uh, the interplay between our faith and science. And I wanted to do that with the question a child gave me because it's Backpack Sunday, and I thought, that would, I thought this child put it in a very interesting way. I thought you'd appreciate it. So this is what a little boy or girl, I think boy because it's dinosaurs, but this is what a child in our congregation asked. Did Jesus have a dinosaur? And did he create dinosaurs or know about them? And so, I mean, that's kind of, you would think, that's kind of an easy question. As much as we would love to picture Jesus riding around Galilee on a triceratops. Um, no, that was different time periods. And, you know, did, did he create dinosaurs or know about them? Yes. 
And at the same time, isn't this getting to that deeper question that I heard over and over again, which is, can I be a deeply believing person of faith and still appreciate the best that science has to offer? Or do I need to pick one or the other? And too often, the question is framed exactly like this. And I think many of us know someone who, in the course of study, they were a person of faith, and then they went to school or graduate school, and because of what they learned in science and how they felt like it was incompatible, they lost their faith. I heard that question. And so I want to talk to us today about how, instead of seeing these as diametrically opposed, we might find a way that God brings them together, even in the way that God created us in this world. But first, I want to tell you, if you're feeling this opposition, I feel it too. I mean, I still remember on the side of science, reading some of the things that Stephen Hawking said more recently in the past couple of years, how he said, as we discover all these things in science, and he's one of our greatest thinkers, this really should mean that we see religion and everything of faith as just this crutch used by the weak. So if you're too afraid or or too feeble, then you need the crutch of religion, but once you get stronger, you can just lean all the way on science. I'm sure you've heard people make that argument. And then on the other side, there are people of faith and some that I know who say, look, we need to just be people of faith. The Bible lays out everything and everything that we need. And science is not helpful. In fact, it's hurtful. And I've even heard people say, you know, those fossil records, Satan put fossils in places to fool us. I've heard this. I've seen it. I've read it. So there are, on both sides, there are people who say, you have to pick. And we feel it. This child feels it. You've felt it. And I'm, my question is, do we have to pick? Or might we not be able to um, fully embrace our faith and the word of God as inspired and holy? And there's a child who's going to answer me right back there. So awesome. Um, or, and can we also say, and God gave us brains and delights in us understanding the world around us more deeply every day. I believe we can. I believe it's not an either or, but we can find uh, what we can appreciate in both of these things. Now, before I go further, these are frequently avoided questions for a reason. People get riled up, they get upset, um, emotions run high around these questions. And let me acknowledge this off the bat. You may come to a different conclusion than I do on this, and that's okay. You may think differently than the person sitting in the pew next to you. And that's okay. Because I'm almost 100% certain, you can never be 100% certain of anything, but let's stand on this and say, I don't think the answer to this question is a salvation level issue. Meaning, when we finally see Jesus face to face, do I ever have any idea that Jesus is going to say, Laura, you know, you really led my people and you gave generously of your time and you were attempting to be compassionate and you sought forgiveness and, you know, this and this and this, but you got that creation thing wrong. And so 
off you go, right? Like Jesus isn't going to get us to heaven and say, oh, you screwed that one thing up. And so, no, I'm sorry, no place for you here. This is going to be something that we need to strive to understand that will enrich our faith, but that totally we can disagree on if we come to different conclusions and our faith is still intact. Our salvation is not threatened by this. At the same time, the number of times I heard this question from y'all means we need to talk about it. Because the more we understand this issue, fully understand this issue, the more I think the conflict is just going to fade away. When we fully understand it, we'll say, oh, well, there's really no reason to be in conflict about this. So let me take you to a place that I go where I see the conflict kind of on display, and that is I go with my father almost every year to the McDonald Observatory. So instead of being surrounded by my church and and believers, I am surrounded by a lot of scientists, astrophysicists and um, great research scientists and astronomers. I mean, everybody there is dialed in on science, and I am the pastor in that midst. And so sometimes that leads to awkward um, things that I say or do that make me stick out like a sore thumb. And one of those times, you might have heard me tell this story, is the first time I went and I got to look through the big telescope. They have amazing telescopes. And you get to look at the stars. And they had put M57, which is the ring nebula, into the viewfinder. And so you're waiting in this long line. You finally get to the eyepiece. I looked in. Here is something I have only seen in pictures. And it is glowing before me. And what did I say? It's magical. (laughs) No. (laughs) It it wasn't, (laughs) that was not the right thing to say. The man next to me who is the scientist actually barked at me. He said, no. And I went, (laughs) what did I do wrong? He said, it is not magic. It's science. I'm dramatizing that. And the whole line behind me I could see going, does not belong off the island, right? Um, So that's kind of the soup that's out there. Um, I learned not to use figures of speech that people could unintentionally take literally. I was an English major. Um, But I also go to places where when I say I'm a pastor, the scientists get excited every now and then. And I still remember, I don't know if Kevin remembers this, we were sitting at a table and somebody found out I was a pastor and said, oh, you must be so excited about dark energy. (laughs) Well, tell me, what am I so excited? Tell us what we're excited about. Um, And he, he sat down and he said, well, let me tell you, he said, you know, a couple of decades ago, all of us in the scientific community thought that the universe after the Big Bang expanded, of course, and we were trying to figure out the rate that it was slowing down, the rate of deceleration. So big bang, everything takes off, and all of the laws of physics that govern all of creation we know say that gravity is going to work as a natural slowing agent on this. I'm not explaining this well, but you're with me, right? So think of a little car that you push. Eventually, it slows down because of friction, right? This is what every scientist thought the universe was going to be doing. What they wondered was, what's the rate of deceleration? Then Hubble came around, 1998, and suddenly we have a telescope outside of our atmosphere, so no distortion that's looking at the stars. And suddenly scientists said, 
we have a chance to calculate this rate of deceleration. And they used this image right here. Well, when they calculated it, they figured something shocking, something horrifying, something no one had predicted. They could not calculate the rate of deceleration. Why? The universe was not slowing down in its expansion. It was speeding up. The universe is accelerating in its expansion. We have no way to explain that. So the, the scientist is getting excited. We don't know what's going on. He said, we have no clue. You know, all of our laws are out the window. And so scientists came up with a name for this we've got no clue stuff. And they called it dark energy and dark matter. Not because it's lacking light, but because we don't get it. Dark energy, dark matter. And I looked on NASA's website lately to just make sure there haven't been any breakthroughs. Um, but no, still in the dark about this. And do you want to know how much of the universe is made up of stuff we don't understand? 95%. 95% of the universe is behaving and governed by forces our minds do not yet comprehend. And when we talk about the science of what we've begun to understand, we are talking about 5%. That's humbling, isn't it? And don't you feel like in there is some room for faith? <laughs> the scientists did too. Now, on the other side, every time I open my Bible, every time... I feel like I discover something new or I encounter the text in a fresh way or there's a new underline. I think, how did I never see that before? Every time. None of us would presume to say, oh yeah, I get it, 100%, 100% I get this. I know exactly how to apply that to my life and I'm living it perfectly, right? So if there is all of this room, both in our faith to learn new things and in the world around us to understand things in a deeper, more meaningful way, I think that we really can say that there's things we can appreciate about both. And I would even come to the point that does it really damage our faith if we say that a day is something other than a literal 24-hour period? I'd say no. Now, I want you to hang with me on this, and the way I want to explain this, um, remember thinking people disagree, but there's some good stuff here, is to t point you to the way God interacts with us. And that way is incarnation. It's a word scholars use, but when you take it, when you look at the, the pieces of it, incarnate, it means in skin. God always relates to us on our level. Incarnation is best seen in Jesus. So when God wanted to save us, the way God chose to save us was to be incarnate, in skin. How many of you started this life as a baby? So did God, right? So did Jesus. How many of you had to grow up? All of us. And we will all someday die. So did Jesus. So when we talk about incarnation, it means God comes to us on our level in ways we understand. And then think about the incarnation that Jesus showed when he taught us. 
Um, again, Jesus could have been over our heads all the time, but think, isn't he always saying, oh, look at those birds. Then think about how God's going to take care of you. Look at those flowers. Have you seen this tiny seed? If you have faith this small, then you can do great things. Look at that mountain. Look at those farmers. Think of getting married. Hey, look at this wine. Let me tell you something. Do you see what incarnation is? Always at our level using things that we can understand, not asking or demanding that we come up to God's level, which we can never do, but God always coming down to our level. And that's not just in Jesus. God has always come to our level. So when God is delivering the people from slavery, uh, think about how the moon goes dark or the sun goes dark. You remember that as one of the plagues? They were in Egypt where the Egyptians worshipped what? The sun. So what is God showing in that moment? I control this. Oh, that's, that's my level where I live, right? God knows the sun is not a God, but the people then didn't. When God delivers them, it's through water, right? And, and I've told you before, that is what terrified the people most of all, water. They were terrified of water. It was chaos and death and being lost in an abyss. And God delivers them through water. When the prophets speak to people, think about how they're always saying, hey, it's like a belt, or your relationship with God is like a, a marriage, or you're like my children, or God is always using these ways of talking to us that we understand. Okay, so come with me to creation. Creation, the story began to be written down, and certainly it was told before then, over 3,000 years ago. Over 3,000 years ago, people didn't know about dark energy and dark matter. We just figured that deal out, right? Over 3,000 years ago, the going story that people thought about when they thought about how the world was created was that the world began because the gods, plural, were fighting. And the body of the goddess who lost was ripped apart, and that's what made the world. And people were created as slaves to the gods, and eventually they rebelled. And so if you have this worldview that I'm living in this place that, that came out of war and strife, and this is a broken goddess that I'm living on who died, and I'm in rebellion, so I better offer this sacrifice to placate the gods because they hate me. You know, can you imagine God coming to them and being like, okay, so you don't really understand cellular structure or molecular biology. Let me bring you up to speed on that. Would that have been incarnational? No. <laughs> Think about it this way. Have you ever tried to explain your phone, a cell phone, or an app to your grandparent or your mom? I was trying the other day to explain FaceTime to my grandma. Like, look, you push this button, and it calls. And look, I can show you Asher, little baby Asher, on the phone. Look, and she's looking at the phone. Oh, Laura, this is marvelous. I'm like, yeah, you just, you get the app or you turn your phone on, Grandma, and you push this button, right? Oh, this is wonderful. She said, it's like Buck Rogers. <laughs> and I was thinking, let me Google that. Oh, got it. Okay, yeah, I'm there. Does my grandma now use FaceTime? 
If I cannot explain FaceTime to my grandma, who is just two generations away, would it have been incarnational for God to try to explain the dense physics of how exactly he created the universe to people who thought the world was created by torn apart goddess parts? Is that really coming to their level? No. So we have, instead of a deep volumes, and could God have written those? Yes. We would start reading when we started reading, and we could keep reading until we died, and we would probably be one-third of the way through the explanation of how God created the universe, okay? Instead, God tells them the far more important parts of the story, not the exact how of it. We're going to get to that in a minute. But so you think that the world began in strife? No. It began out of love. And after every day, what do we hear God saying? This is good. This is good. This is so good. Oh, this is good. Do you see how that would be important to people who thought it began in war? And to us today, when we look around at a broken world, don't we need to hear, God made this good. To people who thought they were made to be slaves, they were corrupted, God says, you were made in my image. You're carriers of the nature of God. I breathed into your nostrils. My spirit is within you. Oh. To people who thought that, you know, that it was kind of meaningless chaos and they were just a mistake or slaves, God says, no, you were formed with a purpose, the pinnacle of creation to look over what I've given you. You guys, that, that is a message that had meaning thousands of years ago, and it still has meaning today. And 2,000 years from now, when it really is Buck Rogers, it's still going to have meaning. So remember incarnation. And then let me touch on that, that questions that we ask the Bible. We, when we say, when we come to the Bible and we say, I want to know about creation, oftentimes the question behind all of that is how. Tell me how. Well, isn't it possible that God gave us the creation story not to tell us how, but to answer a different question? Why? I truly believe that. I truly believe that when we demand how, we're asking a question that God did not give us the story to answer. He gave us the story to tell us why. That's a more meaningful question, actually. Now, so do I think that, that it's denting your faith to, to say that creation happened in something other than six literal days and a seventh day of rest? No, I don't think it's denting our faith to say that. But at the same time, for years, I held that belief secretly. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to in any way glaze over the exquisite value of the Word of God. I didn't want to have it wrong. I didn't want to mislead anyone. I wasn't a pastor yet. So I thought that, but I thought it with, and I thought, oh, I don't know, it does have those days, and so maybe I'm wrong. Well, eventually when I got to seminary, I remember this day. I don't know that I'll ever forget it. I was sitting at, in the kitchen of a friend of mine, and she just happened to be a professor of Old Testament. 
Now, how I got to be friends with a professor of Old Testament, that's a long story, but she's my friend. We were sitting there, and she realized that I had struggles, just heart struggles with the story of creation. And I, I had a sense for where God was going, but I, I didn't know how the text could support that, and I, so I didn't want to stand on it until I knew textual support. And she said, oh, you struggle with that? Oh, yeah. She said, well, get your Bible, and in 10 minutes, you never will again. Bold words, Dr. Richter. But I got my Bible out, and she said, um, let's go through this. And she said, Laura, remember, it's a question about why and with what purpose, not about how. And she said, God is laying out a beautiful order here for creation that isn't exactly about how creation came about, but about how we're supposed to live in it. So I want to share that with you because ever since then, I have had freedom in this area. It it really has transformed my thinking about this. I have this liberated space. And if I could share even a bit of that with you, and and release some worry, I want to do it. So here we go. Um, She envisioned it as an arrow. I have redone it as a house because I think that's cool. So here we go. If you have a Bible with you or if you have an app on your phone, then I invite you to get out and turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're just going to go through the story of the creation. Um, And if you have a more word-for-word translation, this becomes even more clear. So if you need to know what that means after church, I'd be glad to tell you. So day one... uh, Genesis 1.1, God creates the heavens and the earth, day and night, okay? So we have here day one, it's going to come up any minute now, heavens and earth, there we go, day and night, light and dark. So that's the creation, what is formed on day one. On day two, skip down with me to verse six. Um, This is interesting. Here we have incarnational stuff again. Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of heaven from the waters of the earth. Have you ever wondered about that? What are the waters of heaven? I wondered. The ancient Israelites saw the sky as blue, and they assumed that that was because there's water up there. That's why it's blue. So do you see how God doesn't say, look, you've got this all wrong. It's atmosphere, and someday you're going to need to be really concerned about that, okay? God says, sure. Uh, Waters above from waters below. So what we have here created is sky and water on day two, and in a very incarnational way to tell the story. Then on day three, going down to verse nine, um, this is the day when land, seas, and vegetation, really just the land and the vegetation are separated from the seas because, see, the water is here, so the land is pulled out of that and is separate. Now, these first three days are what my professor called forming days. This is formed, and this is formed, and this is formed. The next day, she called filling days. So we turn to day number four, and that's where the filling days begin. And we're going to see a pattern here. What is formed here, you're going to see it in verse 16. The two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. What are we talking about here? The sun and the moon and the stars, yes. So sun and the moon stars, okay? The larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night, to separate light from darkness. So these things that are created on the filling days fill these spaces here and then also have a governing. They're structuring them. And God specifically says, you govern the day and you govern the night, right? You think the next day is going to have a pattern like this? It's, it's really exciting. Okay, day five, uh, verse 20. 
Let the waters swarm with sea creatures and the skies be filled with birds. Look at that. And God tells these sea creatures and birds to fill these spaces. So they are filling these spaces and giving structure to them. Cool, huh? Okay, day six in the morning, God has God creates land animals and again says to them, fill this space here of land and vegetation. And then, okay, so do you see, yeah, we're going to get to that. Do you see how these, these things fill these days that they correspond to? Then in the afternoon, God creates humanity. And God says to humanity, and I want to read this extended verse here because it helps us know what God is asking us to do. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground and every seed-bearing plant. So see, God is saying, you're above all of this. You are reigning over it and you're taking care of it. You're providing structure and order to all of these things that I've created. Then we get to day seven. And who is the centerpiece of day seven? And that's in chapter two. It's all about God. God finished the work of creation, and God rested from all the work, and God blessed the seventh day. And so that gives us the structure that at the very pinnacle of creation is God. So we're, this is our right place in, uh, in creation. Now, you guys, why would we waste another minute demanding that this story tell us how when it is giving us such a beautiful picture of why and what our purpose is? I mean, this should fill our thoughts. Just, just thinking about this and the great responsibility and leadership that God has placed in our hands, just thinking about this and how we can nourish and cultivate this relationship and how God reaches down to do that same thing. I mean, you guys, I, I think about, well, what is it that God has put in our care today? You know, we... We, this church, have packed 78 backpacks for kids at Helping Hand Crisis Ministry because this is our piece of the world and we're responsible for taking care of it and making sure that everyone has enough. And we've done 220 hygiene packs because there are kids at Spicewood Elementary who don't have running water. And now because of your generosity, They've got wet wipes, and if they can't get to a toilet, they've got a way to get clean. They've got shampoo that they could do a bucket bath in. We're taking care of the world. We go and rebuild homes because this is our piece of the world. We go and read to kids. We go serve at Helping Hand Crisis Ministry. We care about meeting the dental needs in our community. And then bring it in towards yourself what is it that God has put in your hands of this creation that God is saying, I trust you with this. Take care of it while you're here. Make it better and more beautiful because you're alive within it. This is the story that creation is telling us. It's telling us who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And to me, that is so much more of a beautiful story. 
And in case I saw some people taking pictures of that, in case you want to keep it, I put it in your study guide. So you might want to put that in your Bible and just have it to share with somebody if you need it. Um, but remember, or think about, can science and, can science and faith exist? Yes, they can. You know, God created all of us, and, and that includes our minds. And so we should always be seeking to understand more. And yet, we should always be leaving room for the great unknown and the great wonders of God, the God who controls the 95% of the universe we have not figured out yet. That same God wants to have control in our lives and direction in our lives. And this is what that story is about. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for creating us to bear your image and giving us such good responsibilities in this world. I mean, just amazing, incredible responsibilities. Help us to use everything we have, our minds and our strength and the resources that you've given us and the strength within our bodies to accomplish the good in this world that that you have set before us. Help us to see the spaces that are in need and to know that it's up to us to respond. And help us to not be afraid of tough questions to not be afraid, but to hold on to you and to know that you open all things up, even if you don't open them up here on earth, that all things eventually will be understood when we stand in your presence eternally. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.